The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. Before we start, I have a question. What does inclusion mean? I'm going to leave you with that question as I introduce today's guest. Welcome to the Inside Learning Podcast here in the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. I'm your host, Aidan McCullen. Our guest today is a lecturer and researcher in inclusive education at the School of Education in Trinity College, Dublin, and creator and presenter of the Inclusion Dialogue Podcast. She has worked for over a decade in social research, focusing on inclusive education, disability, educational inequality, and socioeconomic disadvantage. Her research focuses on inclusive education and policy and practice. Dr. Joanne Banks, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's great to have you on the other side of the mic for a change, Joanne. <laughs> well, it's good enough for me, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're well warmed up and well used to all yeah. this. Yeah, for sure. I thought, I thought a great way to start was, I'll give you an overview of my research I've done. So I went through your website, I went through some of your podcasts, I went through your appearance at the Learnovation conference. And I thought what we do to bring everybody up to the same speed, <laughs> to not make assumptions that everybody's at the same level, we'd give an overview of the evolution of what we term special education in Ireland. You talk about three periods in particular, the era of neglect and denial, the era of special schools away from the mainstream, and then the era of integration and inclusion. And I thought that would be a great way to bring everybody up to speed. I have a PhD in history, so maybe this is why I go down this road. But I think that legacy and history are really important to pause on when we're talking about current systems and provision and policy, because um, history casts a long shadow on the way we think today, uh, how our attitudes are shaped, and also how we treat and provide for people who we consider to be other or people who we consider to be different in our society. So I really like to talk about the evolution of the term is special education, which in itself is a contested term and that many view um, this as outdated um, that there's nothing special about the, this education that's provided for a certain cohort of students. And as you said, uh, Swan in 2000 identified three periods that he felt represented how we have evolved special education over time. And the area of neglect and denial is probably best described as the one where people with disabilities were essentially at home. They were not educated. They were not considered a priority to be educated in the mainstream system. And look, this goes back centuries and it's very easy to sit in, in 2023 and cast judgment upon then, but that's the way it was. And that's how people who were different were treated. He moves into the era of the special school. And I think this is a fascinating era because it's basically when religious orders and institutions thought, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll make specific schools for students who are deaf or hearing impaired or blind or visually impaired. They were often residential schools and they educated students who would not have traditionally been educated. But unfortunately, we know now that children as young as six and seven were often moved from their family home to be resident in these schools in order to receive that education. So a huge amount of sacrifice. There's a colleague, she actually gave one of the podcast interviews. She's written a piece on 
this kind of history and legacy piece. And it's easy to judge these religious orders for what they did. And we subsequently know the tensions and complexities of things that happened in these religious institutions in some cases. But she describes that these were quite innovators of the time in that they were trying something new and different for students that traditionally, again, were at home. Okay, so that's the era of the special school. The third era is the era of integration or inclusion. And this is where I think Ireland doesn't quite know where it is. So integration in maybe the Nordic Scandinavian countries happened in the 70s and 80s, where instead of being in a special school, students with disabilities were placed in like special units or classes within mainstream schools. So there was physical placement of students, but in terms of meaningful engagement and active peer relations with mainstream students, perhaps less so. Inclusion is basically the idea where every student is educated together. Every student can attend their local school. There is no need for a separate provision or instruction because the, the baseline instruction and access to the curriculum within the mainstream classroom is universally accessible so that every student has equal opportunity to succeed. So you can see why I pause here and go, where is Ireland in relation to integration and inclusion? Where do we fall in terms of our policy? But I think more importantly, where do we fall in terms of the practice? And I want to point out something that you constantly reiterate is that this isn't about shaming or complaining about it. It's actually about calling it out in order to fix it. And you're very proactive and positive about that because I think that's an important thing to to be aware of with your work because you're looking for solutions and we'll come to solutions in a little while. But I thought, Joanne, I'd point out something that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting in that third era of integration and inclusion, because even within this integration, there's still special classes. So they bring students who have extra needs off to a separate class, which creates this kind of separation. It must be difficult for those children as well. A number of years ago, we did a review of, of special classes. There's over 13,000 children in Ireland currently being educated in special classes. There's a couple of hundred special classes opened each year um, and a dramatic in increase in these settings. It's over 2,000 in the country now and a dramatic increase since 2011. So it's a definite policy initiative by government with, sorry to say it, but little evidence base that these settings are the optimal place for students with disabilities. And in the main, these classes are designated for students with autism and with very little discussion as to, as to why that's the case. The special classes in essence come from, in academia, we call it the medical model, where the diagnosis is made based on the person and the person is considered the problem. What I like to, to kind of discuss in the podcast and in other work that I do is where the emphasis is flipped instead to the social model, where we view the environment to create the barriers. Uh, and we basically look at our education systems and we look at settings like special classes and think, okay, are we serving these students best in these settings? Are the barriers actually school level, system level? And if we created a more universally designed school system or a universal curriculum, would the students be able to sit beside their peers in the mainstream class without the need for separation or what's increasingly be described as segregation in a special class setting? It reminds me so much of what we see in the business world where an organization needs to literally remodel how it does things, restructure this is why separation is easy. Like just to give you the context from a business sense, people might create an innovation lab over in sector 7G away from everybody instead of trying to integrate that team 
and build a mindset within inside an organization because that needs new capabilities for the people who are existing. It needs a new business model, perhaps, and needs knowledge of a new business model. And it means that it's a restructuring of the entire thing. But when you look at the education system, you go, it's the same thing. It's very hard to dismantle it and recalibrate it because it, it is so systemic. This is the history piece simply playing out. Like we know the change is hard and you've mentioned business and it's certainly hard, if not harder in in a government department like education. And Professor Michael Shefflin here in the School of Education, he describes this as an administrative convenience where it's easier to separate. The teachers are often happier when students are separated. Students' parents are often happier. And we know that actually the students themselves are happier in separate settings so that they don't have to, to kind of deal with the harshness of the mainstream setting, which let's face it, for a lot of students isn't kind of able yet. Uh, it doesn't have the kind of supports available in, in the mainstream context to support them. What's also happened, I think, and that's why I mentioned 2011 to today in relation to the special classes, is that we have invested heavily in what I describe as the special education industry or sector. So we've expanded what our add-on, retrospective, ad hoc supports, that really is going to be very, very difficult to dismantle with the level of investment and commitment. These things, in, or in order to create a fully inclusive system, if that's what we want, it's going to be very hard to close special classes or special schools. So the option then is to move towards this differentiated model where we create specific tailored instruction for one group of students based on a characteristic, in this case, a disability, and then have the, the considered inverted commas normal curriculum in the mainstream, which really is stemming then from that medical model of disability, that deficit-based model. We are all neurodiverse, you know, and we all learn differently. And, and I was thinking when I was reading your, your work about Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. And I was like, it goes much more than that, because there's many ways we learn that we may have different learning techniques in different settings, and the settings can actually influence us. And if we're moving into a world where artificial intelligence is, is here, then we as adults need to unlearn and relearn again. And if we've had a negative experience as children, it's going to have a dramatic effect on how we unlearn and relearn today. This goes back to that integration uh, piece. So if we if we integrate, and it's just a mere a physical placement of, of students, but no genuine meaningful engagement, the students with and without disabilities are going to progress through their educational careers and go out the other side with very little understanding of one another. And they will continue to be considered different and the other, if you like. Whereas if we create, uh, I've mentioned a few times, universal, universally designed schools and universally designed uh, curriculum, those students are naturally and intuitively engaging with one another in order to learn and witnessing each other's different approaches to learning and witnessing different uh, elements of what's described as this jagged learner profile, where some students can excel in, in, in some areas of learning and maybe not so in other areas. And that every learner has this jagged learner profile. So instead of having, when, when I was in school, there was, you know, the students who were high achieving on the right-hand side of the room. There was another bunch of students who were in the middle. And then there was the weaker or the, the low performing students that used to be described as on the left-hand side of the room. And you were just blanketly described 
as that across all of your subjects and across all of your ways of learning, which really, when you think about that, uh, learners, you know, that you can't group them or categorize them in that way. You know, every learner can succeed in some element of their of their education, but perhaps aren't being given a chance because of these categorizations or assumptions and often expectations, unfortunately, of teaching staff, but also parents. We had the brilliant Barbara Oakley on the show previously in one of the episodes, season one, I think it was, and she is now chairperson of Coursera. She's a professor of mathematics in universities in, in the US, but she's written books on mathematics and she was told as a child, she was terrible at maths and she uncovered a way to be able to learn maths and as a result became a professor of mathematics. While that's a brilliant story, I think about how many undiscovered versions of Barbara are out there who have been made think that they're poor at a subject just because they learn differently. And and again, I want to emphasize, and maybe you have a solution for this, the teachers as well like it's difficult on the teacher because they have a blanket approach to how to teach a class and oftentimes the classes are overcrowded so it's difficult to be able to give a udl approach to a classroom very much so i mean i think you know it's it's difficult for teachers because they themselves in their own educational uh, histories and careers have had this one size fits all approach but equally in the initial teacher education it's reinforced and it's reengaged with them in their in their learning but we know that that students they don't come to school with equal opportunities to succeed um, and and uh, to access the curriculum in the same way. And we know that the the students are well. Let's face it; they're given the same books to read. It's at the same pace. They have to listen to the same lectures. Um, and and like people have different ways of approaching that in the universally designed framework. You know, options are given to students so that students can exercise autonomy over their learning. And the idea behind UDL is that you can, the teacher then meets the student where they're at, works at their own pace, works at the ways in which they can access their learning, works at the ways in which they can engage with the learning content being discussed in the class. But I think perhaps most importantly, they can work flexibly with the student so that the student can show their learning in multiple ways, in, in, in whatever way that suits them. And again, that will change subject by subject. It could be maths, it could be English, but you might get very different choices from that student depending on the subject matter. I love it. I, and I've jumped ahead and I haven't showed empathy for our listener here because we haven't given context of what UDL is. So you in your talks and in your work and in the papers you've written, you move to solutions. So you're not just part of the problem complaining about it. You're very much solution driven. And let's give context to the Erasmus UDL BOE project that you were part of. A project that included, by the way, Learnovate's very own Deirdre Green, Greg right. yes. Carey, and as well as Trinity's Anne Devitt, Jane O'Hara, Avian Gray. So let's give those guys a shout out. But Let's give a bit of context to this about the project, and then we'll dig into how it unfolds. Firstly, I, I think I was grumbling for a very long time about the negatives in our Irish system and the barriers in the system. Um, and about four years ago, I moved to Trinity into a, I guess, a researcher role, but equally a teaching role. Um, and I was introduced to Universal Design for Learning. Um, and I was really, really curious as to what this, I guess you describe it as an innovative pedagogy. Um, which uh, like allows students equal opportunity to succeed. Um, so 
The idea behind it is that instead of allowing students to enter the education system with, uh, you know, the Leaving Cert is always described as a level playing field where everyone goes in and sits the same exam. But we know from sociology of education, literature, and probably your own personal experiences that people don't enter an exam like that with equal opportunity. Some people have a lot of baggage and barriers in their way and other people, it's it's a complete fit uh, that the Leaving Cert is is is. Uh, something that kind of matches their cultural norms and values, if you like. Um, then, you know, we've, we've gone down the approach where we can perhaps provide supports to some students, students with impairments, students with conditions, students with disabilities, whatever language you want to put on it. But again, that's that differentiated model. You have to identify the student. So stemming from my interest um, in UDL, myself and a number of colleagues here in the School of Education and Devitt and Avin Bray, along with uh, your colleagues in, in Learnovate, we applied for Erasmus Plus funding. Um, we wanted to explore uh, universal design for learning and the extent to which it's implemented at second level. A lot of the emphasis on UDL is in third level and further education space. So we really wanted to see whether it's applicable uh, at second level and the evidence base around how effective it is. So this has been a really interesting project. We have colleagues in Greece and Belgium and in Spain, and then we are, are coordinating it here in Dublin and Trinity College, just to, to understand uh, the extent to which teachers are familiar with the framework, the UDL framework itself. And also we have created a, a tool in which teachers can enter information about the types of practices they carry out just to see where they are in relation to applying UDL in their practice. But we also have developed a, a tool in which we can point them to ways in which to access further information to improve their practice. So this project is coming to an end now. We've carried out a couple of publications examining the literature and the evidence, evidence base here. And it really really points to the fact that we need more interventions and evaluations of UDL implementation and that the literature isn't where you'd want it to be. But hopefully we can address that gap. Let's move as a final part to maybe give a teaser for UDL and then we'll let our audience know where to find it and find out much more because we won't do it justice, obviously, in this time we have together. But you start off with the one of the interesting things is the, the base layer of UDL, which I thought was so interesting. And that's about being aware of biases and prejudice and privileges that we are so unaware of because they're so invisible to us. Maybe we'll start with UDL and then go to that base layer. And if people even get a cognizance of that, we've done a good job today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, UDL, you know, it stems from universal design, the architectural uh, term. Um, and what I often say to my students in class is the idea of the, the curb cut, a really American term, but basically that cut out in the curb that allows wheelchair users to to uh, cross a road and 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 uh, go onto the footpath but by by doing that curb cut um, it facilitated many other sections of the population, people who were, had impaired mobility, people with buggies, um, and, and it went far beyond the targeted kind of uh, audience or client or whoever you know it's aimed at. UDL works off the same principle, and it's that base layer where you, you know, any barriers that can be removed are removed. And that's in the mainstream population. So in an educational context, that layer is designed for, for most learners. So as you said, a lot of the um, barriers that are created in classrooms are 
you know, they're, they're not intended. They're often due to an unthinking. And, and one of the first things I say to people that kind of embarking on a UDL journey is to identify those barriers. And that's not an easy process. So you have to personally reflect on your own biases, your own privilege, and whatever that might be, and like really reflect on that. Within that then, examine the barriers that might exist for, in this case, students sitting in the classroom in front of you. And instead of perhaps seeking to manage or problematize students with differing learning abilities, that you embrace variability. And that's not just a term. It's an, a, a meaningful engagement with students who learn differently with the view to using that as a leverage for change for the class as a whole. So I often get students on my program saying, oh, I've got a new student this year and they've dyslexia and I've never worked with a student with dyslexia before and I don't know what to do. And what I often say to them is, firstly, I say, have you asked the student themselves what they would like to do in terms of any changes that they would require or need in the class? But instead of making it just for that student, why don't you introduce the changes for everyone? Because you can be guaranteed that four or five, six other students may well benefit from a more universal or accessible approach to learning. So that's really the base layer, I think, in a, in a, in a nutshell. Joanne, for, for maybe from a homework perspective yeah. <laughs> for our audience to at a very, so you're a teacher or maybe you're a facilitator in, in learning and development, or maybe you're designing courses. Is there one way we can start? You mentioned there, for example, catching yourself in the act of, of bias or having the empathy to wonder what it's like for, for a student. What, what would be a very, very low hanging fruit for us to take? Um, well, there's a really good podcast, Aiden, called <laughs> Inclusion Dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where can we find that? Is it on the website, etc. Let's share yeah. that. I, I can I can give you give you the details of that. But joking aside, I mean it is education for practitioners and educators and teachers, and particularly school leaders, uh, who who may not have the time. And I guess that's why I did genuinely introduce a twenty minute podcast idea, so that there'd be no excuses. There's a huge amount of online resources about you know how to embark on this journey and uh, to take you know essentially a plus one approach. Because uh, this content can be quite overwhelming and we don't want teachers to be critical of what is probably amazing practice. But instead, it just shines a light on, like a lot of teachers are doing UDL anyway, but they just haven't, haven't used the framework to highlight what they're excelling at. And then also then where are the gaps and maybe where could they improve upon? So it is like a, it is an amazing way to kind of validate what you're doing. And, and a lot of people say to me, oh, hang on, I, I do offer choice or my students uh, do have some autonomy over, you know, assignment submissions or whatever it is. So it's not something else that's to be added to the teacher workload. It's something that you just view it's, it's through the lens of to see what targets you're hitting, but also maybe gaps that you could address in your practice. That blended learning in schools, a universal design approach is available at udl-boe.eu. But what about you and your podcast and your papers, etc., Joanne? Sure. So I have a, a academic website called bankoninclusion.com, which you're, you're more than welcome to visit. And I have all my publication, ac academic and otherwise there. My podcast is there as well. And I've just recently published a book on the podcast which, you know, again, is me trying to offer multiple formats of the of the same content in a UDL approach. 
And I have my my own Trinity academic website and my bio there as well. The podcast is available on Spotify if you uh, if you want to tune in. But I actually also created YouTube videos where subtitles can be accessed then in any language because I wanted to make it as international as possible. So that, that's always the option on YouTube, which is fantastic. It's probably worth pointing out that we are hosting a UD Elbow Erasmus Plus event with our European partners who are traveling to Dublin. And this is available on Eventbrite for anyone interested. It's on the 21st of April and it starts at 1pm. And we're providing, we're providing food and drinks, but we're also giving an afternoon of talks and practical sessions on UDL implementation. So for any of your listeners, they're more than welcome to attend that as well. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Inside Learning podcast here at Learnovate Centre. Dr. Joanne Banks, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.